0: said it. Go with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and we in our lectionary readings have already read this and so we have heard these strong words from John the baptizer and I want to begin This sermon sort of in this way. Uh, The first thing is to say this. This Sunday is Gaudete Sunday or Gaudete. Either way you want to pronounce it in Latin, it means rejoice. And it's from the introit of one of the songs that's typically sung that says rejoice. And that pink candle is the rejoice or joyful candle. Uh, As you know, you've got the three blue ones here sometimes purple in some instances, and then the pink one, and then the white one, which is the Christ candle. And so the pink one represents joy, and so rejoicing, right? And yet, in our lectionary readings, if you remember and would just simply uh, remind yourself of what we just read, interestingly, check this out. I like this. Rejoice is mentioned four times. So this term that we're talking about joy and rejoice is mentioned four times in lecture, is twice in Zephaniah and two times in Philippians, and joy is mentioned once in the canticle. Now that canticle comes from Isaiah. And so you've got five different times where rejoice or joy is mentioned. And then we come to old John. You remember the reading, don't you? You bunch of snakes. You pit of vipers, brooding, these strong words from John. He wouldn't have won sort of the best speech award if you start out like that. Um, That's typically not the way we talk about it in homiletics, beginning a good sermon. Typically in homiletics, which is preaching class, you want to have a hook that draws people in, right? You know, something that they're interested in, or maybe a question that fundamentally everybody asks. John comes right at the throat and says, You bunch of vipers, who told you to come out here and repent? Instead of a hook, he throws the book and hits him right in the throat, really. And it's a knockout punch to some degree. And this text is quite a text if we begin to look carefully at it. So I want to start this sermon really with these words from Martin Lloyd-Jones... ...who was a Reformed preacher of the 20th century. One of the best, really, if you ever get a chance to pick up his books... ...even though he's from the reform camp. Fantastic. Here's what he says. I want to talk to you today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may call it what you want. But I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit. I know all of you listening to me come, as I do, from a Reformed background. Of course, we don't. But it's not good enough. You come from a Methodist background. It's not good enough. Baptist background. It's not good enough. Catholic background. It's not good enough. Insert, not good enough. I know that all of you would want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit... Well, we got it all at conversion, didn't we? There's no need for any more experience. I have only one other question to ask you, he says. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? These are strong words. Before joy comes a purging. This is really what Isaiah teaches us. Before you can sing the canticle, rewind through chapters 11, rewind to chapter 10. And what you have there is a divine woodsman swinging the axe. You remember this? We actually talked about this last year at Advent. The divine woodsman who cuts down his own plant. Israel and Judah to the stump at the root, chapter 10. And then you get the promise in 11 that out of the stump, a shoot will come. And that shoot is of the house of Jesse. That's David. And from David will come one who will have a kingdom... ...that has no end. But before the rejoicing... ...before we can sing the canticle... ...there needs to be some things lopped off... ...chopped down. And God will start anew... ...with a shoot. Maybe with something in your life... ...that you never thought was possible... ...or have discounted. Maybe it's a sin... ...that He wants to turn around into something beautiful. It'll never happen without the axe that John the Baptist speaks of. You brood of vipers is not him just being mean. Think in terms of vipers, that's serpents, serpents, snakes. And we go all the way back to Genesis, don't we? And in Genesis, we have the serpent who deceives, the viper. What John is saying is, you're a bunch of servants of your God, and it is not Yahweh. Instead, your father is the serpent. When he says brood of vipers, he means you're sons of the devil. Doesn't sound much like rejoicing, does it? I think John missed the memo, right? He seems to always miss the memo, and yet Jesus says He is spot on. And born of women, no one is greater. And even Jesus, won't He, turn to His friend, Peter, at one point, and say, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking with the mind of God. He takes, doesn't he, and acts right to Peter. Right to the root. Not only that, in John, and it's a beautiful, you ought to go and read it today, honestly. I was, I was reading it again, and I was thinking, I need to study this passage even further. I saw some things I had never seen before in John 8. And what Jesus says there is this in Psalm. Why do you not understand what I say? And then he answers his own question. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Why? Because your father is the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. That's a throat punch, I think. Scripturally. Straight from John the baptizer. At least it is for me. One who would be tempted to say, look at my pedigree. I grew up in the church. Surely I'm not under the wrath of God. Surely my father is not the father of lies. After all, I'm in church behind a pulpit every single week. That's not good enough for John. No pulpit can keep you from the wrath of God. No position can keep you from the wrath of God. It is coming into the world. This is what we've been speaking about the past few weeks, is it not? The day of the Lord as glorious and yet a terror to some. These are strong words, friend. I've not always known what to do with these words i am be honest with you, I'm scared to call you a brood of vipers, sons of the devil. You don't look it to me. And that's where John sees what Jesus sees. It wasn't just a nice sentiment when Peter said, you will not go to the cross and die. I can seal carry and I'm going to protect you. It wasn't just nice sentiment when Jesus heard it. He heard it as the enemy's plan. I may hear something you say and say, oh, sounds pretty good to me. And it may be the enemy's plan for your life. I don't know. I know he is a deceiver. I know that he's a liar. And he doesn't just tell bold-faced lies. He tells the worst kind of lies, which are half-truths. Things that sound nice, they tickle our ears. Look, you gave some money. Look, you go to church. Look, you're trying to raise your kids, right? And John says, but is your father the devil? Well, I'm working hard every day. I go to work and do what's right. And I come home, I'm faithful to my spouse. I do. Th- but is the devil your father? Because busyness is his playground. Jesus demands a Sabbath. But do we? He says work only six days, not seven. Do we? The wrath of God is coming. Are we... In Satan's grip. I know at times to confess to you. I have been and didn't even know it. I was in the enemy's camp. And suddenly by the power of God. Realized. I was doing his bidding. And not God's. Have you ever been there friend? Because if you haven't. Might I submit to you. That you may be deceived even this morning. And unable To hear God's voice. There must come a time, friend, where we repent that we have been on the wrong side of the fence. That we were standing with the enemy's weapons. We must drop them. Allow God to take them from us and get on the winning team. This is some strong words. I don't want to think of you in terms of that. It's hard for me to. You look too nice. And yet in America, there's been this facade put over us that if we work hard, if we're busy, if we're doing good things, if we're decent people, that's enough. And John would say, it is not. I think that's why he asked this question here. Who told you to flee the wrath to come? I don't think it's a condemning statement, actually, looking at it again. It sounds more inviting and welcoming in this sense. God told you. Think about the Jews. They were God's chosen people in all of the world. God chose them. The blood running through their veins was elect. Out of all the people in the world, they were given the promises. And here they are coming to repent. Who had told them? God had told them. God's grace had awakened them from their slumber. Oh, how we need an awakening. The great giant of the American church, what if it were to awaken to the Holy Spirit? What if all of a sudden, Pentecost broke out in here? Who told them? God told them. Who warned them? God warned them. And they were willing to see that. I mean, if you actually look at the list here, it was the crowds, ordinary people who were coming. It was tax collectors who were turncoats. They had betrayed the Jewish people. That's who's coming out there. They're the ones who God has awakened, I'm in the wrong. And it was soldiers who were oppressors of the Jews. So they saw it, who were coming to repent. It would have taken a lot for a Jew to humble themselves enough to come out and see John, <laughs> this firebrand of a preacher. thanks be to God, his message was this. Very simple. God's wrath doesn't have to be upon you. You can repent. You can be washed. You can receive the Holy Spirit and be purged with His fire. That's the good news that John is out there preaching that there's coming one. if we can humble ourselves enough decrease enough to say out loud to God and someone else, I want to flee the wrath to come. Wesley, John Wesley actually, in order to be in one of his band meetings, that was the first confession. I want to flee the wrath to come. We just assume we're not under God's wrath. We assume we're okay because everybody looks okay. Okay. But underneath the surface, that's where John gets. He cleans underneath the fingernails. You know what I mean? He gets the scrub on. He's looking for a purging. And so am I. God, I need your purging. I, it's me, O oh Lord. Not the preacher, not the teacher. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Our past piety won't work. He's looking, he's looking for fresh fruit. You say, Lord, but look what I did back. I went on a mission trip. What about today, Marshall? Where's the fruit, man? Are you abiding in Christ to give juicy, good fruit? Or is yours old and rotten? And you're saying, look what I was able to produce. That's why it's rotted, fresh fruit, fresh manna from heaven. We are to, notice John's words here, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. doesn't matter the kind of tree. It matters that we have fresh fruit of repentance in our life. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. 1 John 4.20 For if we don't love people we can see, how in the world can we love people whom we cannot see? Being a good American, a decent person, a good old boy or gal isn't enough. I know plenty of people, I don't know where in the world they need to repent. But I know sin runs deep in all of us. And John unabashedly says, don't be a child of the viper, of the serpent. Instead, produce fruit, keeping with repentance. He says, his winnowing fork, which I was going to, ha- I don't have a winnowing, I bet you all have a winnowing fork. This is just a hay fork. You know what I'm talking about? It's one of these hay forks. His winnowing, notice, 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. The axe is laid at the root. He's ready to do it. That's what this means. Expectant, yes. Today, though, as we prepare for his coming, not just this coming, the second coming, We must do something. It is not good enough to sit around. It is not good enough to come to church. It is not good enough to offer up our good works. We must do something every day in His name. Day by day being changed, being filled with the Spirit. Never allowing it into legalism. But also not allowing ourselves to fall into antinomianism. Which is no law at all. No restrictions at all. Nothing to do at all. That's a lie, friend. What is being produced from your life? It's a simple question. Is the kingdom of God the first priority? They, they, they say like I do when I hear John preach here. I have to say, well, what in the world do I do, John? This is what they ask. And John says this. Check your closet. So I said, okay, okay cool. I've got this nice, nice jacket here. This is a soft shell, if you don't know. And this actually is waterproof. It's got the tapered stuff here. I mean, I can go out in the rain and not get wet in this at all. This is very useful, right? And then I pull out my Monkey Man, which I love my Monkey Man. I thought I lost it for a little while, and then I got it back. And I love my Monkey Man. I mean, kind of self-described here. Very warm wind blows through it though so it's not like the soft shell but it is very nice and warm kind of cool color I've got another soft shell here that's better it's absolutely windproof John and this is why I need this coat and then I've got this really nice one that I've had for probably 15 I don't know how long ago has just one of the first jackets I ever bought on my own it's kind of dingy I hope you don't see that but you know, this one is is really nice for backpacking, so it's got some, I mean, it's got some warrior stains from, from the trail on it to show you that I actually use it, John. I, I need this jacket. Not only this, this is a ski jacket. Now, I've never been skiing, but this is a ski jacket, and it's very nice. It's got a skirt at the bottom that's, that's uh, rubbery, and um, so I certainly need this one, John, uh, for sure, and... Then this is just sort of a big kind of rain jacket. I mean, it's, it's got the zip at the back, so the hood can come down. It's got like a little bill on it, um, made by Marmot, super nice, love it, worn it a lot. And then my all-time favorite one. Oh, I don't even want to show you this, John, it's just a masterpiece, which is another one of mine here, and this is just, it's down, super lightweight, but oh my goodness, you put this on, it's like being in front of a cozy fire. <laughs> you really ought to try it, John. And at that moment, you look at John, and he's in camel's skin with a leather belt around. He turns to those people and he says, If you have two coats, give one of them away to somebody that needs it. That's what you need to do to repent. You need to do something. Take your stuff and give it away. I don't want to hear that. He said, "I don't have a lot of stuff, but I guarantee you like the stuff you do have." John says, "If you want to repent, I tell you exactly what to do. Give it away." He doesn't even say it with hesitation like I do. I'm not as good of a preacher as John is. I imagine he kind of says it like this: "Give it away, boy." Probably showing a little chest hair from the camel hair. turns to others and says this, don't take any more than what is required for you. What does it really take for you to live? Don't take any more than that. You know, in um, 1970, the average home was 1,400 square feet. Just across the board in America, average home was 1,400 square feet. In 2018, the average square foot home is 2,700 square feet. And we have smaller families than they did in 1970 and larger properties. You see the trend is we're moving away from one another. Not closer together. Reminds me in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. <laughs> he sees Napoleon, <laughs> which I can't tell you the whole story. I would love to. I really would. He sees Napoleon. They're in hell, right? That, the story starts in hell. And, uh, and they take a bus ride to heaven, if you don't know the story. And he sees Napoleon way out. And he's like, what's he doing way out there? And he's just pacing in his house, busy. You know, just busyness, busyness and he said well he used to live closer <laughs> to town but but he's just every year he moves further and further out and builds a larger and larger home he's in there by himself and he paces day and night without sleep god not help that not to be us and then john says be content with what you have. I mean if that. If this isn't bad enough. John. And if not trying to get more than what's required for me to live. Now be content with what I already have. Are you kidding me? Have you seen what the Smiths have? Interestingly I live by the Smiths. <laughs> like literally. Um, Have you seen how much so-and-so saved up for retirement? I'm reminded of the words of Jesus, right? Your soul will be required tonight. What does all that mean? Is the kingdom of God first? It's a simple question. This past week, look at the fruit of your life and honestly answer, is the kingdom first? Is there any proof at all? Is there any fruit to be picked? today that the kingdom of God was the first priority you say hey man you're coming at me strong no this is John's preaching I'm preaching his message I've already been on my knees if you want to know and I'm not done yet apparently because God's like hey we're having a meeting later too by the way it's one of those close the door meetings you know What shall we do? Share. What shall we do? No more than required. What shall we do? Be content. Lord, we can't do that on our own. Will anybody at least give an amen to that? I can't do... I I need help. I need the Holy Spirit's help. That's the only way this is going to be made right is if the Holy Spirit teaches us day by day to be filled with Him instead of stuff. <laughs> you say to yourself, man, you're circling here. I don't know how you're going to land the plane with joy. <laughs> like this. Have ye the Holy Spirit... Joy only comes from the fruit of the Spirit. Have ye the Holy Spirit? Then you have already what you need. Who you need. Now, we must ask this follow-up question, which is where John is getting to. Okay, good. You've been baptized. You're a child of God. Amen. But have you been baptized Like Jesus will come to do, and that is baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Has He purged you? Has He cut down things in your life? Lopped off bows in your life? Cut down to the roots? Sin's fruit has a root that He wants to kill. This clear ethical teaching, it is tough. John is telling us to do something concrete. We like the theoretical, don't we? Just give us a nice lesson here on joy. Something we can take away in our head. I'm sorry. John didn't get the memo about joy. (laughs) But he did. Because joy only comes when we've lost ourselves in God. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. And that only comes by crucifying the self. And that's tough work. It's a work only God can do. But he can do it. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Get this. He can empower us by his spirit to crucify the works of darkness in our life. And he can crush the head of. Of the liar. That nature that is in us. That we didn't ask for. He can crush the head of the serpent. This is what he's come to do. Isn't it? And he can do it. Not just in a general way. But in a concrete. Real way. Today. If we. If I am willing to lay down my life. As our. Master did. That's where joy comes from. Joy is not worked up by emotions. It is deep and only is the result of abiding in Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit in fire? Friends, good news and I I'm, I'm promise I'm not making this up. Notice, notice the last words here in 18. So with many other exhortations, wouldn't you like to hear, hear those, you know? This is kind of the highlights. John preached good news to the people. How is that good news? It's good news in the same way that the person who says, your house is burning down, you need to get out. That's the worst news ever, that your house is burning down, right? And yet the best news ever, that you get to get out safely. I've heard people say those words, you have cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me because it opened my eyes to the way I was living my life. I was not considering tomorrow at all. It was day to day. How could that be? The worst thing to happen to you, cancer can be the best thing to happen because just like with John, when he punches us in the throat, when he throws the book at us To say, you bunch of lovers of the enemy. That's a wake-up call, friend. And God can transform our life to take us from one side to the other. To fill us with his joy and love. That's unspeakable. And full of glory. That's what I want for you. That's what John wants for you. And that, friend, is what Jesus is praying right now. He's actually praying for us right now. Right now. And he wants us to be obedient. Don't fear. Don't let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Zephaniah. Live toward toward that world. The world to come. World without end. The kingdom of God. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance his axe at our root, his winnowing fork in his hand, but so are you right here. He's our father. He wants nothing more than the best for us. Pour out your spirit, Lord. As we decrease, may you increase in my life, in your life,